0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive,
2: center field, hit the wall, grand slam! is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where well, fantasy becomes
1: reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there.
0: Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, January 26th. And welcome to our first mock draft review of 2022. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. And you know what really grinds my gears... Cody Bellinger moving up draft boards. That's what grinds my gears. But also, Barry Bonds not making it to the Hall of Fame. What's up Scott? Do you care about this as much as I do? Enough to put on a Barry Bonds jersey while you're podcasting?
1: Well, I can't specifically say I care about it enough to do that cuz I'm not wearing a Giants jersey. True. But no, I care a lot. Yeah. I this is this the the Hall of Fame voting and um Some of the ridiculous standards surrounding it is something that raises my blood pressure every year, maybe a little, maybe a little more than it should, but it's obviously stupid that Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens won't be, aren't in the hall of fame. I mean, they could still get elected by what used to be called the veterans committee and nobody remembers what it's called now, Mm -hmm. but that's what it used to be called. But the thing is like, if it's, if it was the old crusty types, the old crusty purist types keeping them out in the media voting then you would think the same would happen with the with the veterans committee so i'm not expecting to see them in anytime soon and that's obviously stupid because they are the best hitter and pitcher respectively of their generation i mean among the best all-time forget their generation like we all know they're hall of famers like i don't understand this you're wanting to be punitive with your voting and so you're just gonna like pretend it didn't happen you're just gonna sweep their career under the rug and you're gonna expect nobody to notice this or to care like it's it's just it's just it feels dishonest to me chris you
0: know what i think is the most annoying part when i see people post their ballots and it's all like these old timer baseball guys on twitter they post ballots with nobody so it's just like, what's the point? Why do you even have a vote? Are you really telling me that so, anybody on the ballot is not worthy of making the Hall of Fame? There's, I mean, there's players that are on the ballot that were not
3: tied to PED allegations or yeah. anything like that. What's the point? Why do you have a vote? So I, I, one thing I will say is there was the one, one ballot in particular drew a lot of controversy. And it was Dan O'Shaughnessy or Shaughnessy, I don't know if, you know. And he only voted for Jeff Kent. And what I will say is... That is more intellectually defensible than the seemingly dozens of people who voted for David Ortiz and not Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Like, I can at least understand saying, you know what? Anybody who's got a credible link to performance-enhancing drugs, I'm just not going to vote for them. I don't agree. I think it's stupid, but fair. That That is a logically consistent position. But all these people who voted for David Ortiz, who was a very good player, who I don't think you can tell the story of baseball in, in the time he
1: played without him.
3: So yeah. that is a very I mean, who is good. Who in his
1: generation? Derek Jeter, maybe Alex Rodriguez, but that's about it.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and so I'm fine with him. Like him getting in is not the problem. The problem is him getting in and not Gary Sheffield, who has very comparable numbers, has a maybe not quite as good argument for like the soft intangible stuff, but like I, and I, you know, Scott, maybe you agree as well. I don't know, but I certainly don't think you can tell the story of major league baseball in the nineties without talking about Gary Sheffield. Like he's there with Vladimir Guerrero in the, like you had to be there to see him. Like he is one of the defining players of that generation in my eyes. And maybe that's me being a Marlins fan and him being on my favorite team when I was eight years old. But when I think of like the best hitters of that era, one Gary Sheffield
1: statistically is right there. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the, if it's one just of the a only pure, players raw statistical comparison. Okay. But it's obviously not. You know, right, like right, right, right. But like, been.
3: right, right. But like Sheffield
1: has a, a
3: non-statistical case as well. In my eyes, like just, he was so like, that fearsome thing—the thing that got Jim Rice into the Hall of Fame—he was the most feared hitter. Like Gary he Sheffield, was, was like—I mean, other than Barry Bob. he was terrifying. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> terrifying. The batting stance alone, visceral way. The batting yeah, stance so alone like, should get him in. Or like Vladimir Guerrero having to wait a year to get in, but David Ortiz gets Meh. in. Like that kind of stuff. Just like, why is David Ortiz the guy we're making this exception
1: for? And I get it. Well, I mean, you agree, that David Ortiz. He had was fourteen. Yes, he had 14 he really great World Series was, games. It, he barely made it in. It was a difference of like 6 percentage points sure, between sure. him and, and Vladimir Guerrero on the yeah. first ballot. And I, I think right, right. like first ballot versus second ballot is a stupid distinction anyway. Like nobody nobody I knows agree. beyond just, the year it
3: happens. The thing that the thing that grinds my gears about it is like we do hold the first ballot thing to a higher standard. And we Not hold officially. the unanimous we hold the unanimous thing to a higher standard. And so like Mariano Rivera of all people being the only unanimous vote getter or treating Derek Jeter, not getting a single vote as like a crime against baseball.
1: That's just a footnote though, you know?
3: Sure. But
1: it's a footnote that I care about Scott.
3: (laughs) I said, it grinds my gears. I didn't say it grinds the nation's gears, Okay, Um, but yeah, it's like the bonds and Clemens one is especially stupid because we know they were hall of famers without steroids. We exactly. have very good evidence that Barry Bonds started using steroids after the 1998 season. If you cut his career out there, he is a top 12 hitter of all time, probably. You're talking about the only player with 400 home runs and 400 stolen bases, career 400 OBP. Like, three time MVP should have been four. Terry Pendleton winning an MVP over him is one of the worst MVP awards the last 30 years. It's mm-hmm. like Bonds is so, like, I. Sosa, I get it. We don't know what what his career looks like without steroids. I get that. I get not being going in on him. But you could I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to cast aspersions I, on David Ortiz. It's his big day. But <laughs> what we know for sure is Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were both the best in the world at what they did before they ever started taking steroids. Barry Bonds was the best player of the 90s before he took steroids. It wasn't it's not like it's not Ken Griffey Jr. It wasn't close. Like, Barry Bonds was by far the best player of his era before he started taking
1: steroids. Yeah. yeah. And I th- I, and Go ahead, well, i I take it further, if you don't mind me going out on this limb, uh, because you're making... Okay, before we believe they use steroids, um, they're a Hall of Famers. You know, a, a lot of people are making this distinction between Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and, like, Alex Rodriguez and... Manny Ramirez, who's maybe a step back from the others, but still, you know, an obvious Hall of Famer, just if you look at what he did on the field. Yeah. Because Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez played once penalties were in place yeah. for this, and they both were busted, and they both served lengthy suspensions. But why are you punishing them again? Like, it's, it's yeah. almost to me like, okay, it's MLB's responsibility. They punished them. Getting busted cost them seasons. Shouldn't that put less of the onus on you to pun- punish them as well? Shouldn't it, should, like I, I don't think I don't think yeah, the like, writer should be punishing any of them. But does it Alex like, Rodriguez?
3: Just, Alex Rodriguez lost a full season of his career. That was the punishment. Right. Exactly. Like he might have been the all time home run leader if he doesn't lose a full season in the middle of his career. Like that. So, so like by, that was already the punishment.
1: By not voting for them, you're saying well, that punishment wasn't good enough. I'm going to apply my own. And that's just like a power trip sort of thing.
3: Yeah, yeah I, And that, I just, I hate the moralizing. Like, yeah. It's just yeah. like, uh, it. I
0: don't know. And that's ultimately what it's about, Scott. It, it is a power trip kind of thing where, you know, the, the, the writers feel like they have the power to make this decision. Ultimately, they, they do. But, uh, yeah, it's like, look, we all know that these guys should be Hall of Famers anyway. I, the biggest thing, Chris, that I agree with that you said was – how can we have David Ortiz be a first ballot Hall of Famer and then have these guys 10th time on the ballot and not making it in general, right? Like, there was even a link uh, of David Ortiz to PEDs. Now, I I guess maybe we'll never know for sure, but the fact that he was, that doesn't cast any doubt in anybody's mind at all? Like,
3: what? Well, like, there is as much concrete or firm evidence that he took steroids as Sammy Sos. Because the only evidence we have is that they were both on a leaked Mitchell Report document for the 2003 drug test, which has been acknowledged that there were false positives, has been acknowledged that it was supposed to be anonymous and those names were never supposed to come out. That's the evidence that we have for both of them. And so it's like Sammy Sosa gets punished more for, I don't know, like cheating better.
1: (laughs) The thing is, I mean, Sammy Sosa was arguably the biggest star of his era too. Yeah. Other than maybe Derek Jeter, who
3: is <laughs> the only player. He's the only player with multiple 60 home run seasons. He has four yeah. of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like that's, I mean, a lot of what yeah. people have said about this too, is that Ortiz was really nice to the media. And obviously that plays a factor in it. Okay. The guy has a nice smile. Like really, that's what we're basing this on. Like it's just, it's completely ridiculous. We got to move on because we've already spent like 10 minutes talking about this, but I think it was right to get it out of the way here and just, Give our thoughts on it because everybody knows that it's completely ridiculous anyway.
3: Let everyone in the Hall of Fame. I say they're all <laughs> sure. Hall of Famers in my book. Have you seen Chris you Towers want, play softball? If you want to put put him Jerome in Jerome Walton. You if, wanna... if you want to if you want to put Alfredo Amesiga in the Hall of Fame, I say go do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that guy. All right, let's get to the Roto mock draft. Our first mock draft of twenty twenty two. And these guys did it without me. They knew I wasn't going to he- be here. They knew I, I would dominate them in the draft, so that's why they excluded me from this one. Anyway, 12 teams, classic, 5x5, five five Roto, categories. The link to the draft will be in the podcast and the YouTube description if you'd like to follow along. And it's a standard Roto lineup, two catchers, corner infielder, middle infielder, five outfielders, nine pitcher spots. Chris was picking in the 11th spot. Uh, Scott was picking in the 12th spot. And... Chris, I believe this was your first mock draft of the offseason. Is that
3: correct? I would say one and a half mock draft because I did a best ball co-manager draft like a week ago. But yes, the first one, first full draft. Yes.
0: All right. Well, what were your initial takeaways here? I mean, if you have anything that comes to mind right off the top, maybe the way that the player pool has shaped out differently in this first draft compared to what we were doing last year or just maybe just a general strategy that you had coming in or leaving the draft with that maybe you didn't expect.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that, you know, there is that big middle class of pitchers that you feel pretty good about. And so, you know, I went pretty hitter heavy early on and I grabbed a lot of my guys. Um, but yeah, I think there is enough starting pitching in the middle rounds that, you know, you can at least feel decent about waiting, especially if you can grab some higher upside guys late. And then there are Justin Turner fell to 230th in this draft. I don't know if that's just people forgot about him. I think Scott, you might've said in the chat that you forgot about him.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, you know, what happened is. I, w- I had my printed tiers here, and I was crossing off names as they were selected. And you crossed them At off. At some point halfway through the draft, I saw Justin Turner wasn't crossed out, and I just naturally assumed, because <laughs> much lower in third baseman had gone off the board by that point, oh, I must have overlooked him. And so I crossed him off, because, you know, that happens. I miss a name here or there.
3: Yeah, uh, it, it does seem... There were some really good values in this draft, I thought, that I grabbed, and I- I'm not... I don't think I had a perfect draft. My starting pitcher, I know we're going to beat up on my starting pitching. That's what we always do when we review mock drafts. Um, <laughs> but you know, one thing that this draft did make me think is you can get some really, really good hitters late. I mean, my last two hitters were Justin Turner and Eduardo Escobar. That's, that's two starting caliber players at that point in the draft. So You know, maybe I do need to be just a teeny tiny bit more aggressive at starting pitcher.
0: Yeah, I mean, those players are not overly exciting, but it seems like every year we have those veteran types who are getting downgraded, a la Joey Votto, from last year. And we'll get into more of the values later on, Chris, but I thought getting your starting catchers in Mitch Garver and Joey Barton rounds 18 and 19, thought that was great value as well. We'll get into it. Scott, what was your approach entering this draft? I know that you've been a proponent so far this offseason of not going
1: out of your way to target steals. Yep, I'm calling it the zero SB strategy, and uh, that doesn't—that's not the same as punting. I mean punting, which, ironically, you know, you think zero SB, you're playing off the zero RB thing with football, and then you have another football analogy with punting, right? So, <laughs> um, but no, it, it's not the same as punting because I am not—I am not trying. To lose steals. I'm not trying to finish last in steals. I'm just saying it doesn't take much. They're so scarce That you can tend to overemphasize them and and get more than you need at the expense of other categories I I I believe that happened to me in a few roto leagues last year But you really don't need that many to finish in the middle of the pack and because there's no correlation really between stolen bases and any of the other four hitting stats it's just kind of its own separate thing, the way saves are among the pitching stats. Uh, that's what I, I, I think. I think really that's all you should be aiming for is just, just by virtue of drafting players who contribute a handful of steals, finishing in the middle of the pack as opposed to selling out for steals. So, I, I mean, you see that at the round one, two turn here. I went with Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman, even though Kyle Tucker was still on the board. And I did that kind of to test it out. You know, Kyle Tucker, I'm not sure he's even a 20 steal guy. He wasn't last year. And I think if, I think if you're only looking at 10 to 15 steals, you know, that's a very slippery slope down to zero. So I, I kind of think it's silly to inflate vet Kyle Tucker's value because of the steals to begin with. But, you know, I expect them to have more than Trout and Freeman, nonetheless. Still, having done that, and uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we're going to go through all the players, the, all, the, all the stolen base sor- sources I drafted here, but the bottom line is that if, if you just rank all the teams by the number of stolen bases every player had, you, you use 2021 stats, rank all the teams, my team would have finished fifth in stolen bases last year without you know I, th- I think I drafted two guys who were 20 steel guys last year you know and, and otherwise I didn't put much emphasis on it at all so that's that's what I'm looking to do I like the way it played out in this draft
0: yeah so I actually went out of my way to calculate your guys steals based on steamer projections on fan graphs and oh, okay you guys both wound up with based on my calculations right around 80 each so I don't know if it was also less of an emphasis for you, Chris, but what we're going to do here yeah. is we'll analyze Chris's team and then we'll analyze Scott's team a little bit more. And then later on, we'll go round by round and see how, how deep we can get into the draft. But uh, Chris, you started hitter, hitter as well. Mentioned you had the 11th pick. So you take Bryce Harper at 11 and then you take Kyle Tucker at 14 and you took five hitters with your first six picks, Harper, Tucker, Matt Olson, and then two picks for the hashtag brand, Byron Buxton and Cattell Marte. Um, you, you get to a decent amount of steals with all of those players outside of mm-hmm. Matt Olson. But did you have a specific strategy when targeting these hitters early?
3: Very good hitters who hopefully won't kill me in batting average was mostly the, the approach there. You know, I, I think all five of those, well, not Matt Olson, but four of the five could get you double digit steals. And so when, when I'm looking at, you know, the, the four categories besides stolen bases I think I'm in pretty good shape between Bryce Harper, Kyle Tucker, Matt Olson, Byron Buxton, and Catel Marte. You know, whatever I might be sacrificing in batting average with Buxton and potentially Olson, although not based on what we saw last season, you know, I should be able to make up for that with Catel Marte. And, you know, Tucker looks like a potential batting average. I mean, he hit 295 last season. It looks like he could be a real batting average contributor now. So hitters early. Solid all-around hitters, especially, was was the strategy.
0: Yeah, I think for Kyle Tucker, Scott. I know you were just talking about him. Even if the the Steals come back a little bit, say he only gives you ten, he hit over three hundred from May first on. So if he's a contributor in batting average, I think the home runs
1: are going to be pretty
3: good. He moves up the lineup. Only Ninety strikeouts in yeah. five hundred and sixty-seven no, play appearances. Yeah, no, I, awesome. I'm
1: not. I'm not saying Kyle Tucker is. A bad first round pick. I I think he belongs right at the round one two turn there. But mostly because of his hitting, I think I think the stolen bases. You know, I would give him. I I would call him maybe a C grade base stealer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but my point with the stolen bases for him is that you know particularly when you're talking about a middle of the order bat like that, that's not something you could bank on him sustaining from year to year. Yeah. And I think when you're only talking about how many steals did he have last year? Fourteen. Yeah. Fourteen out of sixteen. So he didn't really run that much either. Right. And I think I think that can very abruptly become zero. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying steals should not be the reason you're elevating mm-hmm. him against other hitters that you may trust or like more.
3: I, I think in the in the first round really, I think the only ones you do that with are maybe Trey Turner and Jose Ramirez, but they're also like they also rank up there with the best hitters in baseball in terms of their other four categories. So it's not like you're sacrificing something to get Jose Ramirez. I mean, batting average I guess and Trey Turner are a little bit of run production, but their overall hitting production is going to be elite as well as their stolen bases. So, you know, I like with Tucker and Harper, I think you would set the over under at 12 and a half, and I'm not sure if I would take the over on either or both, but you're, you should get something, yeah. which is a nice bonus, but that's not the reason I targeted them.
0: Yeah, I would say 20-plus between the two it wouldn't surprise me if you get somewhere around 25, yeah. You know, 12, 13 from each. I think that is a fair projection. Let's take a look at the pitchers, the pitchers you mentioned, Chris, uh, and you only took one starting pitcher with your first six picks, and that wound up being Robbie Ray, your top three pitchers, Ray, Joe Musgrove, and Clayton Kershaw. The entire staff wound up being Ray Musgrove-Kershaw, Tyler Malley, Sean Manaya, Anthony DeScofani, Noah Syndergaard, Alex Cobb, and Aaron Savale. I actually don't hate it, Chris, but do you realize that saves our category?
3: <laughs> yeah, but I also realize it's January, and we can confidently say maybe 12 closers right now. And so if I'm drafting right now, and I know Scott will probably say he was drafting as if it was March, um, but I'm not down with this whole let's push closers up the draft boards thing because there is so much volatility there and we're so bad at predicting who's going. It's, it's it's sort of like running back in a lot of ways where if you actually look at the the handcuffs who get drafted in fantasy football, we're almost never right about who the ones who end up being league winners. And I feel like that's very true of closer as well. There's a handful of guys who we know will be the closer there's a bunch of guys who we know have very little job security. I think you can actually punt saves and still compete in the category.
0: You can. I, I mean, we, we've talked about it before where you can come in last place in a category and you could still win your league. I mean, it's obviously going to be a lot harder uh, and I wouldn't recommend doing it, but it is possible to do. Uh, well,
1: so, what you were, were you saying punting it, like just not having any saves all year? The, or you punting you in the draft. Saves during yeah, the finding drafts
3: as they come. Which yeah, finally saves as they come.
1: Which was something I did in a number of high-profile roto leagues last year. After you know, kind of accidentally finding myself in that situation in previous years, uh, it didn't. It didn't work out great in the fifteen teamers. There's just yeah. so much competition for saves whenever they emerge. But in anything shallower, uh, it's probably the way to go.
0: Scott, how would you grade Chris's pitching staff here? That we just mentioned: Robbie Ray, Musgrove, Clayton Kershaw is the top three.
1: Well, um, if Clayton Kershaw ends up being a non-factor Plays. in 2022, <laughs> it's a problem. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how, what, are, what does the rest of it look like? I don't, I don't know that you can fairly judge it on the top three, given the the way the the way the position breaks down this year. I think uh, I think you really need to look at one through seven.
3: Yeah, so I guess the one through seven would be Mali, Mania, Syndergaard, and Disclifani probably. Maybe yeah. Cobb or Disclifani. It's not great. No. I
1: think strikeouts are going to be the biggest concern. Yeah. And wins could be a concern. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think it's workable. I, I think there I think there are. I think you can be a lot more adaptable, a lot more flexible with your pitching going into this season than I would have said you could going into the previous two.
3: Obviously, what makes it look a lot better is, you know, I I really don't think there's like a true obvious weak spot for at my hitter spots.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about those hitters, Chris. You wind up with. Uh, Mitch Garver and Joey Bart, as I mentioned, as your two catchers. You got Matt Olson, Cattell Marte, Anthony Rendon, Willie Adamas. in your infield. You have Eduardo Escobar at your middle infield spot, Justin Turner at corner infield, then Bryce Harper, Kyle Tucker, Byron Buxton, Trent Grisham, Lourdes Gurriel, and Joe Adele at your utility spot. I think it's I think it's pretty good.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's it's a solid, balanced lineup. I'm gonna get steals from a lot of different sources. I'm not gonna get a lot of steals from any one guy, but you know there should be four or five double-digit steals guys there, and there could be another you know handful of guys who are gonna steal eight bases. So I think in that regard, I was able to do that without sacrificing too much. I've got some really good batting average sources to help you know make up for where I might be lacking, and then bounce back candidate and Anthony Rendon. I think he's gonna be. Uh, a good value. I ended up getting him at 107th overall and Joe Adele is going to be on as many rosters as I can get everything that we've like the production hasn't been good, but in the two stints in the majors that we've seen from him, he's shown just out of this world tools, you know, he's 98th percentile or something in sprint speed. He's like 90th percentile in max exit velo. And he was really turning it on towards the end of last season. I think it's his last like 17 games. He was really hitting well and got the strikeouts under control. Obviously, 17 games is a very small sample size. But the thing with Joe Adele, he has played like 360 games as a professional at every level, and he's been a pro for five years. partially, that's because he's had trouble staying healthy. Partially, you know, he didn't play in 20. He only played 40 games in 2020. That happened to everybody. But he's still very young. I think he's still 22 and very, very raw in terms of his playing time. So the fact that he's shown he's flashed those elite skills already, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pound the table for Joe Adele.
0: I'm with you. I wrote him up in breakouts 1.0 for me and he only played 35 games last year, the strikeout rate was 23%. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just above league average. That's definitely workable for Joe Adele. If he puts the ball in play that much, I think good things eventually are going to happen for him. 89th percentile in max exit velocity, 98th percentile in sprint speed. You brought those up as well. So he's got the
3: tools. Everything is there. And he crushed it in AAA last season. Yeah. I mean, the strikeouts were a problem, but did he have 1,000 OPS in, in AAA last season? Oh, I have. Let's. See.
0: I don't have the OPS written down, but he hit 289. I think it was with high high 900s, at least. 289 with 23 home runs, 29% strikeout rate. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was really good. Scott, let's take a closer look at your team and mention you did not overemphasize steals, at least with your first seven picks. And um, overall, I mean, you wound up with a ton of power here early on. Trout, Freddie Freeman, Austin oh. Riley, and Pete Alonzo with four of your first five picks.
1: Yep. Give me all the power. I do not want to. I do not want to sell the power short because with with home runs, of course, comes RBI. Uh, usually, usually comes runs too. And with the early rounders like the Freeman and the Trout, you know you're going to give yourself a nice foundation for batting average, so you're not going to have to worry so much about balancing that with your later picks. Uh, so you know that's that's not to say I would have passed up a Jose Ramirez or I don't know, Trey Turner, if I was picking the appropriate spot in the middle of round one as opposed to at the end of round one. Obviously, take that big helping of steals along with everything else they give you. But I I don't feel like that's sacrificing in the other categories. I mean, yeah, Trey Turner might not give you as many home runs as the other first rounders, but he's going to be elite in batting average, and he's going to give you a significant number of home runs still. So I, I don't really see that as sacrificing for steals so much using your first round pick on him. But th- I think maybe the clearest example of where I was just like, give me the power, as opposed to let me stretch my let me stretch my interest in this player in the hopes of securing a few more steals was with that Pete Alonso pick in, in what round was it?
0: That was the at the round five six five. turn. So pick sixty overall.
1: So the Steels play there would have been Randy Orozarena, who, you know, maybe he goes 20-20 again. Maybe not. His expected stats on StatCast, the, the, the discrepancy between his actual numbers and his expected numbers is about as big as for any hitter in the negative direction. Um, so I actually have him as a bust candidate. But even if I didn't, even if I could pencil him in for 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases, I'm just not sure that's worth the potential 40 home run outcome you're getting from Pete Alonso, understanding that home runs are easier to find than stolen bases. But the point being a misstep in the home run category can hurt you a lot more in stolen bases because they're, they're, they're just being produced in such high quantities, you know?
3: Well, and if you miss out on the home runs or, you know, one of your cheap home run sources doesn't hit for you. You're also losing out on runs in RBI. That, that's, I think, the biggest thing. Like, like you said earlier, stolen bases kind of exist on their own. Yep. You might score a few extra runs, but probably not because you're getting thrown out on the bases as well. Um,
1: and it's, not, you know, it's just players, not tied to OBP at all. Yeah, you know, OBP. and so
3: it's its a product of getting on base as are runs, but you know, it doesn't necessarily increase your chance of scoring runs all that often. And so... Stolen bases and saves are the two stats in five by five that really, you know, they don't directly help you in anything else. You know, you there are kind of, I can't think of the word.
0: They're they're independent of any, of anything else. Yeah, yeah hitting more a-
3: than any of the other stats. The other stats are all interdependent.
0: Right. Yeah. So hitting a home run, you are actually helping all four other categories. So a hit with batting average, and then you're getting a home run, a run, and RBI. So it makes a ton of sense. And especially in standalone leagues, right? Like most leagues that we play in, redraft leagues, home leagues, where it's just that league. Again, you don't need to finish first in seals necessarily you can finish the middle of the pack and, and still be really good in those other four yeah. categories and obviously that'll work out quite well for you let's take a look at these pictures you wound up with scotty and sandy alcantara round three my man you know i like it scotty charlie morton and frankie montas at the six seven that would have made sense six seven turn wouldn't make sense uh i guess that would have been one seven, at the eight, five six. The sixth. yeah or, yeah ah what a, what a rookie mistake frank I that just actually annoyed me that I wrote that. So anyway, <laughs> you took Morton at the first pick of the round six, and then you took Montas with the last pick of round seven. You got Fromber Valdez round 14, Adam Wainwright round 15, Zach Greinke round 22. Scott, did you wind up with enough of your top 55 starting pitchers, which, which is what you're going for this season?
1: I wound up with six of them. Because you could only draft nine pitchers, and I ended up drafting three guys for saves. Okay, so you know that that's that's kind of a byproduct of not having a bench, and obviously most real drafts I'll have a bench, but for this mock, no, I ended up only with with only six of the top fifty-five.
0: All right, Chris, what do you think about this pitching staff? Sandy, Charlie Morton, Frankie Montas, Framber Valdez, Wainwright, and Zach Greinke. Again, this was you know more than in years
3: past, living in that mid-tier. Yeah, Scott's taking after me a little bit with this approach. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the only thing for me is just, I, th- I think this sort of highlights why, especially if you're drafting with no bench, that I, w- I would rather just go all starting pitchers and just get more bites at that apple. Because Duvall and Scott Barlow could be good. It's yeah. also entirely possible we get to April 15th and neither of get the, of them is giving you saves. So that that's where I would rather take the upside shots on starters in the later rounds than that. But otherwise, you know, I think it's a good staff. It's got a handful of question marks, but which pitching staff doesn't? I think the only place I think you might actually fall short a little bit might be strikeouts. If, you know, Charlie Morton doesn't give you big innings, if uh, Cranky doesn't bounce back, if Wainwright falters, you know, I think. Yeah,
1: I mean. You've got a a couple of of bulk guys Which, you know, Adam Wainwright, he wasn't a good K-9 per pitcher last year. He hasn't been in several years. But he got 174 strikeouts last year just because he (laughs) gives you so much volume. Um, So, you know, personally, I'm not worried about strikeouts. I mean, Morton, health provided, of course. Alcantara, Morton, and Montas could all give me 200. And uh, Wainwright, 170-ish. Valdez, you know he's a big innings eater too. With it mm-hmm. good for a K per. So obviously, there's a scenario where it doesn't work out because that's that's pitching. But I'm really happy with it. And to address the closer point, you know I I didn't go into this expecting to draft three potential save sources because of the way closers, with so few of them being obvious right now, are being tend to be being pushed up. That didn't really happen. With the guys I drafted, Camilo Duvall, I got in round 16. Scott mm-hmm. Barlow, I got in round 21. So I just thought the value was good for them. And uh, that's why I ended up with three. Even Craig, where did I gra- draft Kimbrell? Round 13. 13. Yeah. 13. Yeah, last pick mm-hmm. around 13. So I, I don't feel like I reached for any of them. Now, there's a chance, obviously, Kimbrell doesn't get traded and he's not a closer going into it. But the, the, the assumption is he will be moved to somewhere. Who, yeah. Intends to use him as a closer. All
0: right, so let me just read off your overall team here, Scotty, and then we'll just get your last overall thoughts on the team. The catchers, Mike Zanino and Eric Haas, then you have Freddie Freeman, Jonathan India, Austin Riley, Javier Baez as your infield. You have Brendan Rodgers at middle. You have Pete Alonso at the corner. Then you have Trout, Schwarber. Chris Taylor, Robbie Grossman, Marcelo Zuna, and Nicky Lopez as your offense. I read off your starting pitchers. And then, of course, you wound up with Kimbrel, Doval, and Scott Barlow.
1: Um,
0: What do you think overall with the team?
1: I'm I'm happy with it. I don't think there's much I would have done differently. Uh, The Chris Taylor pick, uh, I'm trying to remember who I was debating between. It's not interesting when I don't remember. It may have been like Chris Taylor versus Framil Reyes, and you know, do I want to even go heavier after the power, or take a potential twenty-five, fifteen outcome? More realistically, probably twenty ten. Uh, and I think, I think I wasn't sure exactly how my middle infield was going to middle infield spot was going to shape up, so I wanted that versatility of okay, I could either have him as my outfielder or have him as my middle infielder. And I can hopefully get a little bit of steals there. So it, it was a semi-intentional steals pick. But not, not in a way that I feel like uh, cost me assured production in other areas. I don't know. I, that, that's, the, that's the pick that I might have done differently if I go back and review this draft knowing how my later picks went. The most intentional stolen base pick I made was that Nicky Lopez pick in round 20, the first pick of round 20, where obviously not going to get any power from him. He was, this is, this is a fun stat I found the other day, Nicky Lopez was one of only three players last year to hit 300 with 20-plus steals, the other two being Trey Turner and Starling Marte. So that's just kind of a fun thing that makes him sound more valuable than he is. But he's kind of he's who we hope Nick Madrigal would be right the high batting average uh, b rate base dealer and uh, if he can do that again, which I think he can looking at his minor league track record his strikeout rate then uh, then I think it's going to be a worthwhile pick here and I feel like I had built up so much uh, so much of an advantage in the home run category that you know for a cost of a late round pick understanding I might swap him out in week three anyway, I think it was worth going with the steals play at that point. Uh, hey. But otherwise, otherwise my steals just came to me, you know, by virtue of the right guy to take in that moment happened to have happened to to be a, you know, 15 to 20 steals guy.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, uh,
1: you wound up with a good
0: amount of those guys, like even just 10 to 15 steal guys. India, Javier Baez, uh, Chris Taylor could give you 10. Robbie Grossman could give you 15-plus. Nicky Lopez should come close to 20 as well. And I, I didn't realize, but Nicky Lopez is a really, really good defender. So if you're worried about playing time for him with Bobby Witt coming up, they still have Mondesi. They've got some pieces to figure out on that team. Nicky Lopez is going to play. I think that they really value his defense. So as a result of that, it's um, just, he's going to be out there.
3: The concern would be that he goes the way of Luis Arias. Like that, that type of hitting profile. It seems safe because it's so contact oriented and it's like, well, he's going to hit for average anyway. But it's like sometimes those guys can just get swallowed up like pitchers start challenging them and they just have no, you know, nothing to fall back on. And so mm-hmm. that's the concern there. But it's your 20th pick. So to,
1: to Frank's point, though, Louis Arise is a terrible defender, yeah, which hasn't helped his playing time situation, uh, you know. He hit two ninety-four last year, so it's. It, yeah. I wouldn't say a rise has gotten swallowed up. He's been a reliable batting <laughs> average. uh But yeah, I mean, I, it's it's certainly possible that Nicky Lopez is just a flash in the pan and and that zero power, you know, he'll 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 fade quickly. But I think he's I think he's a pretty handy player late in rotisserie leagues and doesn't seem to be getting. Much credit. He's not, Nick Nick Madrigal actually went ahead of him in this draft, which seems silly to me. He's not
3: getting pushed up the way Miles Straw is. Yeah. Miles Straw was a 10th round pick.
1: And I would definitely count on a better batting average from Lopez than Straw. Yes.
3: Yeah. Miles Straw's um,
0: ADP right now is 138. Nikki Lopez is 230. So that, that is a pretty massive difference, almost a 100 spot difference in ADP right now between Miles Straw and. Yeah. Nicky Lopez. Are they really that dissimilar? <clears throat> I do think that straw is going to lead off. He's got a pretty good eye at, the, eye at the plate, so he should score some runs, and obviously he's going to run <clears throat> quite a bit as well. Uh, we're going to hit a break, but before we do that, I want to remind everyone we have a live, live mock draft, YouTube exclusive, this Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the first one, and it's a head-to-head point startup dynasty mock. That is a mouthful. Head-to-head point startup dynasty mock, and we plan to do at least one of these live streams moving forward. It's always going to be a different format. So whatever format you play, and hopefully we will cover that. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing a ton of drafts from now, basically leading up to the start of the season. And, and we're going to do those live on YouTube as exclusive streams there. So make sure to subscribe to our YouTube, YouTube channel at youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Tap that notification bell. So you get notified every time we go live or we drop a new video, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will try to get to as many rounds as we possibly can here on fantasy baseball today.
2: Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mlbpodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com mlbpodcast to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash mlbpodcast.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring.
0: All right, so let's go round-by-round analysis. We've already talked about quite a few picks that have happened, but let's jump right in. Round one, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, Vlad Guerrero, Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez. And it kind of seems to me like this is shaping up as the consensus top five. We, all three of us, in our Roto rankings, have each of those five ranked in our top five. Maybe not the same order, but it seems like, even based on ADP, this is kind of how it's shaping out. Tatis, Soto, Vlad, Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, in whatever order. Um, moving on, we have Ronald Acuna 6th overall, then Bo Bichette, Garrett Cole, Mookie Betts, uh, Shohei Otani, Bryce Harper to Chris, and Mike Trout to Scott. Uh, I know how Scott feels about Ronald Acuna, but Chris, 6th overall, it seems a little bit early. We actually got a video that uh, circulated on Twitter earlier this week with Ronald Acuna doing some like high steps in the speed ladder. It's pretty encouraging because, you know, like we need to see this guy running full speed, but this is the first time I've seen him doing an exercise that kind of tests out that knee coming back from the torn ACL, and he looked pretty good doing it.
3: Yeah, I mean, the 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 bigger thing will be when we start to see him moving side to side. I think that that would be, you know, the bigger test and turning on the base path and just that, you know, the lateral movement probably would be a better indicator. But all signs, you know, really seem to be pointing in the right direction, Um and, you know, we have seen guys come back within, you know, eight or nine months from a torn ACL, and it seems like, you know, the returns are, are coming a little more quickly with, with some of the major surgeries. So it's entirely possible Ronald Acuna is ready right around the start of the season, and then he could be the steal of the draft. We, you know, he, he was the consensus number one pick last season, and it's entirely possible he would have been that again if he had been healthy.
1: At six overall, I mean, he wouldn't be the steal of the draft, but I think typically we're seeing him more in the middle of round two, which I can get behind.
0: Yeah, the ADP for Acuna right now is 12 overall, so normally at that one-two turn. But, Chris, overall, you would say six Six is too early for him?
3: Probably, but, I mean, here's what he's done in 128 games since the start of 2020. 118 runs, 38 homers, 81 RBI, 25 steals, 270 average. If he plays 130 games and gives you that, he's worth a top 5 pick. Like that that's how good he can be. Yeah. And so I don't know, like that's it's not the safest approach that you could have and maybe he won't steal as much coming off this injury, but there's no player with more upside in a 5 by 5 roto league except for Fernando Tatís, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. It just again comes down to health. So we'll we'll continue to get more news. On Acuna, as we get closer to spring training, assuming that we have a normal spring training, things meetings are happening. You know, we're getting some back and forth right now. Overall, it seems like it's a slight step in the right direction, but
3: they only have to bridge a 90 million dollar (laughs) gap in the arbitration uh, bonus pool, so right?
0: They're right there. Not great, not great right now. Uh, (laughs) round two. We see Freddie Freeman go to Scott, uh, Kyle Tucker, wets Chris, and then Corbin Burns, Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, Shane Bieber, Jacob deGrom. A streak of six straight starting pitchers. Then after those guys, we see Luis Robert, Rafael Devers, Brandon Woodruff, and Ozzy Albies to finish out round two. So, Scott, we get one starting pitcher in round one, Garrett Cole. That's different from last year. I think more often than not, we were getting three. It was... Cole to mm-hmm. Bieber in round one last year, but then we get seven starting pitchers in round two. I looked at last year's ADP and there were eight starting pitchers going in the first twenty-four picks. There were eight starting pitchers that went in the first twenty-four picks of this draft. Maybe it's not so different overall, the the valuation of starting pitchers, at least for other people, not us.
1: Well, I have I have all of these, all of these pitchers that have gone through round two, I also have. In either round one or two and pretty much entirely in round two uh, so you know th- that is a difference right there. you know you're not willing to give up your first round pick to get a high end arm in itself says the arms aren't as high end as uh, as we were presuming they were last year mm-hmm. um, but it, you know i'm i'm not I'm not saying we're back to I don't know, twenty twenty fourteen 2014 standards or whatever of, of, you know, you can get your ACE in, in round six, potentially. Uh, it's, it's still, it's still an important part of your fantasy team, but I, I think last year, the approach at starting pitcher, that's about as extreme as it's ever going to get. You're not going to get
3: a lot of pocket aces this year. Although one person did that in this draft, um, pocket ACE is obviously referring to the strategy that, Became very popular last season of drafting two starting pitchers with your first two picks. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more, I don't know if you call it, anchor SP or hero SP. Um, don't do it, Chris. Chris.
0: Don't make another football reference.
3: I'm going to start to ding
0: you every time you make a football reference. Uh,
3: yeah. Here, just, But yeah, hero RP would just be having that one anchor ace and then filling it out around him, which is what you saw Scott and I do. Um, me less so because I waited till round three, but you know it was getting one starting pitcher in the first five picks rather than two or three like we would have done last season. Wow, I'm looking at I that's what that, you did,
1: Scott, right? Well, I, I guess that's one way of looking at it. That's not how I was it, – it, that wasn't my mindset. I have Sandy Alcantara who I took at the end of round three mm-hmm. in the same tier as Charlie Morton who I took at the beginning of round six. So if you're just looking, looking at the rounds where I took them, I could understand that. But you were willing to let him go.
3: But you were willing to to take the chance that he wouldn't be there. Or well, they, that a, a lower end pitcher would be there in round I w- six.
1: I was looking at my tiers and and seeing I can afford to wait and still get another pitcher from that tier. Sure. And, but, and like, I, you might I have ended up, up taking, with I, I ended up taking Charlie Morton ahead of his ADP. So mm-hmm. I mean I, I kind of I guess leaned into that um that built in discount. Mm-hmm. But, you know. If, if Charlie Morton was the last remaining SP at the beginning of round five, I probably would have taken him there instead.
0: Let's take a look at round three, which started with Starling Marte and then Manny Machado, Whit Merrifield, Julio Arias, Cedric Mullins, and Francisco Lindor. And um, that is the first half of round three. And look, even me, the, the Francisco Lindor apologist, that is just too early, the middle of round three. So uh, I like the. I like the discount. I don't love it that you're getting. You know, when he's going in, in round five, or maybe even slipping in round six, but middle of round three, that's that's not enough of a
1: discount. The for only me. thing I can figure with this why Francisco Lindor would go so far ahead of like a Corey Seager, for instance, is is just that to me is the mindset. I I gotta get those fifteen steals. You know, I'm I gotta sell out to get those fifteen steals because I just need them so badly, and that's what I'm trying to avoid is upgrading a francisco lindor that much for that small of an impact in a category where You really don't need that much
0: Well, I mean uh, just look i'm looking at round five trevor story went in round five Is there really gonna be that big of a difference in stolen base output? Well, between yeah, i not expect story to
1: give you more steals than lindor
3: exactly. It's just you know, if he's not at cores You know, sure. it could be pretty bad otherwise, but I will say like if you are gonna push up for steals I think Whit Merrifield here is a great value. 27th overall, I mean, the guy hasn't missed a game since 2018 when he only missed four. That's crazy. Uh, (laughs) He's given you 40-plus steals or 40 steals in two of the last four. He was on pace for 30 in 2020 in a full season. Like, he's going to volume his way to being one of the better hitters in fantasy just because – He's probably going to have a good batting average with a ton of plate appearances and a ton of at-bats. He's led the majors in at-bats three years in a row now. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that is sneaky valuable. I, I think, you know, a 277 batting average and you look, well, his batting average is declining three years in a row. If he only hits 277, but it's over 650 at-bats and he leads the majors in at-bats or comes close, that's more valuable to a roto league than a guy who hits 300 in 500 at bats. My like only, just because because of the the to- the denominator is bigger. My only
0: issue with Whit Merrifield, Chris, is he is an Iron Man. You're 100 percent right about what happens. 33. What happens if he misses time? You know, then obviously sure. all the counting stats take a little bit of a step back. I, I wouldn't project it because he hasn't shown any propensity to miss time, but it is something that's just in the back of my mind. The second sure. half. I th- the second half of round three, we've got Yordan Alvarez, Marcus Simeon, Salvador Perez, Tim Anderson, Robbie Ray to Chris, Sandy Alcantara to Scott. And Chris, I haven't heard your thoughts on Robbie Ray um, this offseason. He signed with the Mariners. So 30 seconds or less. What do you think about Robbie Ray in Seattle?
3: I buy the breakout. You know, I think the, the change that he made in his approach, which was basically I'm just going to throw the ball down the middle and my stuff is good enough that they're not going to be able to hit it and I'm going to and I'm not going to walk everyone as a result. Obviously his track record suggests that there's a ton of volatility in his profile, but when the change was that specific and that simple, it almost tends to make me buy it more than a normal breakout, you know, just because it's it's almost kind of like Cedric Mullins, just he made one obvious change to his approach in a way that made perfect sense and it worked out exactly like you would think. But there's risk. He's he's risky as your number one starting pitcher. But there's incredible upside there, and that's what matters a starting pitcher for me. And the pants, the pants, Chris. I mean, the
0: pants are super tight, so that obviously and helps. And wears very route.
3: tight pants. I mean, if you can get him and Walker Bueller on the same team, <laughs> oof, jeez. got my tight that's a pants good, on. Good mix. <laughs> Round
0: four, we see Austin Riley go to Scott, then Matt Olson to Chris, Aaron Judge, Teoscar Hernandez, Lucas Giolito, and then Liam Hendricks. It's got too early for the first closer off
1: the board at pick forty-two. I'm sure I don't have the highest ranked closer as high as forty-two. I understand why people are doing it, but the quality of the hitters available here—I mean, I mean, Aaron Nola
3: went right after him. You know, that's a potential two hundred. That's a potential two hundred and twenty strikeout guy. You know, saves are saves matter, but mm -hmm. I don't know. The only way I could see it is if you just don't draft another closer.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 kinda of doing the same thing I'm looking to avoid as stolen bases is yeah. oh my gosh, I gotta get I gotta get saves and there aren't as many predictable sources of them, so I gotta I gotta pay more for them. But you just don't need that many. You you need mm-hmm. you know, you need to you need to come into what 75 to 90 saves somehow. I may be lowballing I mean
3: boring. that'll get you towards the top of the Yeah, the okay. So I'm not lowballing that number. I yeah, think like just, 45 has been right around the mid-range the last
1: few years. And the thing is the 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 increased turnover we've seen uh where you know, you you might have a couple guys on the same team with 16 saves, but not cuz they're splitting the whole season because you know, one guy got hot for a while and did it for a couple months and then another guy got hot and did it for a couple months. That makes it easier to 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 keep pace in the category than if there were, you know, a bunch of bankable thirty to thirty five saves guys every year. I think just already, to I,
3: clarify. Go I ahead, did Chris. just look it up, and I, I think it's more like sixty to sixty five will get you in the middle range. But there's also just not a big spread. You know, most of the time, the leader in saves is going to be around eighty mm-hmm. in a twelve team league.
1: There you go.
3: I think typically I want to have
0: one pretty good closer but you could find a pocket while the draft is going on where there's a decent value for that one even if it's a top 8 or 10 guy someone like a a Jordan Romano or a Will Smith someone like that who you, you feel pretty good that they are the closer on their respective team I would like to get one of those guys but you know top 50 pick uh, I mean that's that's probably pushing it the end of round 4 we see Aaron Nola then Jose Altuve Paul Goldschmidt Josh Hader Jack Flaherty and Xander bogarts starting round five we saw logan webb george springer wander franco lance lynn Corey seeger and cody bellinger and this is what i was referring to earlier grinds my gears i don't like this i, I want to be the bellinger guy we did the outfield tiers. when you see no it's the other way around when you read cody bellinger's name you want to think of this face but not in the middle of nope. round five chris no. the, the adp for bellinger is 100.3 that i like
3: yeah, it's it's a case where, and this this will happen in in drafts. You want a guy, so you go get the guy, and you probably could have waited two or three rounds to get the guy. In this case, mm-hmm. um, and like if 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 you wait until the middle of the eighth round, you're still. I guess that would be right around ADP. So middle of the seventh round would have been, you know, still twelve to fifteen spots ahead of where he's going on average. So yeah, it's it's too early, but. We know it can work out. Like that's there's no question that it It, it could could. work out in a big way.
1: But here's the thing. Look, I know Pete Alonzo, and I'm not just I'm not hyping my Pete Alonzo pick again. But Pete Alonzo went seven picks after Cody Bellinger here. How Mm. much has to go right for Cody Bellinger to deliver a Pete Alonzo stat line?
3: (laughs) Or what's more, or or to to I'll just pull a Scott here and hype up my own player. (laughs) What's more likely, Byron Buxton plays 125 games or Cody Ballinger plays 140 and figures out whatever the hell went wrong with him the last two seasons?
1: Yeah, that's you know, Byron that's Buxton's
3: right. got to. He's got to avoid running into someone is basically the path, <laughs> or avoid balls running into
0: his hands or something like that. Yeah, that was sound a little weird. Anyway, uh, the end of round five. Trevor Story, Chris Sale, Kevin Gausman, Rice Iglesias, who was the third closer off the board. Then we see Buxton to Chris and Alonzo to. Scott, I did want to ask you, Scott. Austin Riley went at the 3-4 turn, and we talked about this exact thing on our corner infield tiers. Nolan Arenado goes in round six. So would you rather have Austin Riley at the 3-4 or Nolan Arenado at the 5-6?
1: So I obviously thought about this discussion as I was making this pick. Am I (laughs) going to go for Austin Riley again? Or or am I going to count on Nolan Arenado being there in round six? Part of it is just... I don't feel like there are many obvious picks in the three, four range. I feel like you're 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 beyond the super studs at that point. And there's enough players like enough players to span five rounds uh who could deliver you you know, who who are basically in the same tier. We're talking about, you know, a, a variety of positions, but they they don't stand out that much from one another. And so it's just like eh, why chance it with Olin? why chance it with Arenado, this being the draft where he goes two rounds earlier than I expect him to, you know, I'll just take Riley. Um, Chris took Matt Olson right afterward. If I hadn't taken Freddie Freeman already, maybe I would have gone that route instead and 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 tried to get Arenado in round six. But uh, I, I don't know. I think in this case, it, it made sense to just go for Riley and and secure that thin position while I knew I could.
3: One thing I will cop to not quite understanding in, you know, getting back into baseball and, you know, my research and doing mock drafts and stuff, I don't understand Rizal Iglesias as the consensus number three closer. I get if you're going to push saves up, which is what's happening, I don't get how Rizal Iglesias gets that same bump. He, the way he's used, he just, he's never been a high saves guy. You know there, there are. He led the American League in games finished last season, and he had 34 saves, which was matched his career high. So I don't know if there's necess, I don't. That doesn't necessarily mean he can't get more saves. Well, but, how, many,
1: how many people get 40 saves? Period. These days,
3: I, I think it's just sure. But I think it's four.
1: Just, you know, Rysell Iglesias is going to be the closer. Sure, and, and he might give you 100 strikeouts. And I, 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 yeah. I kind of like. A class A more, but I'm not gonna rank him ahead of him.
3: Yeah, I just I don't know. I, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it's worth pushing up for and he's never been the guy we pushed up. You know, he's always yeah. been a, a closer you settle for. And What's I don't think he's just a dramatically different
1: player all of a sudden. I think it's just by default, you know. By default But, this is the but guy. it's not
3: like he's but it's not like he's falling to seventieth,
1: you know? Sure.
3: Like, it's, it's by default he's the number three guy. Okay, that makes sense. But he's by default going in the 50s now. Or in NFC drafts, I think, in the 40s. So,
0: Iglesias in the NFBC is going at pick 58. But overall, his ADP on Fantasy Pros is 68.7. So, mm-hmm. that's closer to pick 70. And uh, the 34 saves were tied for fifth in baseball last year. So, sure. there's just... Yeah not that many saves to go around anymore overall. He did have 103 strikeouts, 257 ERA, 0.93 whip. And something you talk about, Chris, with the batting average in terms of volume, he gave he pitched 70 innings last year as a reliever, yeah. so his ERA and whip just impacts that those categories so much more because he's pitching as much as he is. Uh, we'll quickly run through round six, and I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Charlie Morton went to Scott. Cattell Marte went to Chris. Uh, then uh, Nolan Arenado, Hugh Darvish, Tyler O'Neal, and JT Real Muto, the second catcher off the board, 33 picks after Salvador Perez. I like Salvador Perez the player, but I think this is a combination of maybe Salvi is a little bit overvalued at that spot and JT Real Muto just going that much later than him seems like a really good value to me. Like three rounds later, should that happen? I don't know, Scott. You got to you've got a look on your face. Yeah,
1: no, I think I think Salvador Perez is as clear, as as distant of a number one as we've seen at this position in in quite some time. I mean, he hit three times as many home runs as Rio Muto hit, which isn't to say he's gonna do exactly that again, but he led the majors in home runs at RBI. Only one other catcher has ever done that before. Johnny Bench. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> like it's 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 just and, it, you know, it's it's easy to say, okay, but it's it's this uh, outlier season in his career. He was as much of a standout at the position in 2022. Yeah. 2020 also. We wrote it off then because, oh, but it's such an outlier. And then he goes and has this historic season. So.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys wrote it off last year. I like Salvador Perez. Uh, but it, it, that's why it kind of feels weird that maybe I'm off of Salvador Perez. I think it's just the price. I, I never want to pay for a catcher that early, especially in the third round. Real Muto... I like the fact that the, hopefully the DH is coming to the National yeah. League as well because I think that's something that would help him play more games, and he won't play as many as Salvi. Salvi played 161 last year. That's crazy for a
3: catcher-eligible Although player. But Rail Muto did play, yeah, and, and Salvi had 40 games as DH where he, that he started. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Rail Muto in 2020, did he miss some time in 2020? I feel um, like I remember that. There I was like a gap where cuz he fit, played t- uh 47 games.
0: I um, feel like he missed time towards the end of 2020,
3: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out cuz I thought he actually did play more the year where they had the DH. So that that was a little surprising. i mm-hmm. I'd have to look at. He only into D- that, he was only DH right. 3 times in 2020. Or was, no, sorry, that's 2021. He was 9 times in 2020.
0: Yeah, so his nine nine out of forty seven games. I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty good ratio for maybe what we can expect
1: moving forward uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. He d- he did miss a week and a half with in twenty twenty with a hip injury. Okay. okay,
3: that that might explain it. Yeah. The yep en- yep yep. There it was, middle of September.
0: End of round six, we see Brandon Lau, Christian Yelich, Alex Bregman, Freddie Peralta, Carlos Correa, and Randy Arosarena. Kind of similar with Bellinger. I mean, Yelich, you do get him around later, but this is, I mean, this is ahead of ADP by about 20, 30 picks. So again, you know, maybe that discount starts to go away a little bit on, on those guys. I really like Freddie Peralta too in this spot. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm alone, but it feels like end of round six feels like pretty good value on uh, Freddie Peralta.
3: Yeah, I will say if I was going to reach on one of the former National League MVPs who's fallen from grace. I actually would rather it be (sighs) Yelich. My heart, Chris. Is that... uh, Like, he's been better than Bellinger the last couple of seasons, right? Like, Bellinger's been... My
0: my thinking is just that he's older, Chris, and he's had chronic back issues now, so it's... I feel like we have more of a concern with that. Yeah. I feel like another off-season removed from shoulder surgery for Bellinger, it's... You kind
3: of hope he gets healthier this off-season, but... Could be wrong. it's... For what it's worth, Yellich has played 24 games more than Bellinger over the past two seasons, and his OPS is 120 points better. And the best Yellich season was a lot better than the best, or better than the best Bellinger season,
1: at least. Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the, the key factor for me, and look, they're one spot apart in my rankings, is mm-hmm. that I'm not sure what it's going to take for Yellich to get right again. I think Bellinger just needs to fix his mechanics, and it could all come back. Um, but I think Yelich's issues they, they may run deeper than that
0: alright Scotty there I you. like it uh, let's, let's make it happen preach and hopefully Cody Bellinger's listening and we, we get that guy back on track we're gonna wrap there you can find the rest of the results over on the site again the link to the to these, uh, to this mock draft will be in the podcast and the YouTube description for Scott, Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching. Fantasy baseball today will be back again tomorrow. Bye bye.